Chapter Twenty Nine of Nan Sherwood at Pine Camp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Nan Sherwood at Pine Camp by Annie Rowe Carr. Chapter Twenty Nine. Great News from Scotland. Nan put two and two together, and the answer came right. She got out of bed, lit her lamp again, and began to dress. She turned her light down to a dim glimmer, however, for she did not want her aunt to look out of the window of her bedroom on the other side of the parlor and catch a glimpse of her light. In the half-darkness Nan made a quick toilet, and then with her raincoat on and hood over her head, she hesitated with her hand upon the knob of the door. If I go through the parlor and out the side door, Aunt Kate will hear me, thought Nan. That won't do at all. She looked at the further window. Outside the rain was pattering and there was absolutely no light. In the pocket of her raincoat, Nan had slipped the electric torch she had brought from home something of which Aunt Kate cordially approved, and was always begging Uncle Henry to buy one like it. The pocket lamp showed her the fastenings of the screen. Tom had made it to the slide up out of the way when she wanted to open or close the sash. And, as far as she could see, anyone could open it from the outside as easily as from the room itself. And that's just what she did, decided Nan. How foolish of me not to think of it before. With this enigmatical observation, Nan prepared to leave the room by this very means. She was agile, and the sill of the window was only three feet from the ground. It was through this opening that she had helped Margaret Llewellyn into her room on the first occasion that odd child had visited her. Nan jumped out, let the screen down softly, and hurried across the unfenced yard to the road. She knew well enough when she reached the public track, despite the darkness for the miry clay stuck to her shoes, and made the walking difficult. She flashed her lamp once to get her bearings, and then set off down the lane toward the swamp road. There was not a light in any house she passed, not even in Mr. Fenn Llewellyn's cottage. I guess Margaret's fast asleep, murmured Nan, as she passed swiftly on. The rain beat down upon the girl steadily, and Nan found it shivery out here in the dark and storm. However, her reason for coming, Nan conceived, was a very serious one. This was no foolish escapade. By showing her light now, and then she managed to follow the dark lane without stepping off into any of the deep puddles which lay beside the path, she came, finally, to the spot where Raph had met her and Tom with his lantern that evening. Here stood the great tree with the big hollow in it, Margaret Llewellyn's favorite playhouse. For a moment Nan hesitated. The place looked so dark and there might be something alive in the hollow. But she plucked up courage and flashed her lamp into it. The white ray played about the floor of the hollow. The other Llewellyn children dared not come here for Margaret punished them if they disturbed anything belonging to her. 
What Nan was looking for was not in sight. She stepped inside and raised the torch. The rotting wood had been neatly scooped out, and where the aperture grew smaller at the top of a wide shelf had been made by the ingenious Margaret. Nan had never been in this hideout before. It must be here, it must be here, she kept telling herself, and stood on her tiptoes to feel along the shelf, which was above her head. Nan discovered nothing at first. She felt along the entire length of the shelf again. Nothing. I know better, she almost sobbed. My dear, beautiful. She jumped up, feeling back on the shelf with her right hand. Her fingers touched something, and it was not the rotting wood of the tree. It's there, breathed the excited girl. She flashed her lamp around, searching for something to stand upon. There in the corner was a roughly made footstool. In a moment, Nan had the footstool set in position and had stepped upon it. Her hand darted to the back of the shelf. There was a long box, a pasteboard box. Nan dropped her lamp with a little scream of ecstasy. And, of course, the light went out. But she had the long box clasped in her arms. She could not wait to get home with it but tumbled off the stool and sat down upon it, picked up the torch, held it so the round spotlight gave her illumination and untied the string. Off came the cover. She peeped within. The pink and white loveliness of Balula's wax features peered up at her. In fifteen minutes Nan was back in her room, without being discovered by anybody, and with the doll safely clasped in her arms. Indeed, she went to bed a second time, that night with her beloved playmate lying on the pillow beside her, just as she had done when a little girl. I suppose I'm foolish, she confessed to Aunt Kate the next morning when she told her about it. But I love Balula so much when I was little that I can't forget her now. If I go to Lakeview Hall, I'm going to take her with me. I don't care what the other girls say. You are faithful in your likes, child said aunt kate nodding tis a good trait but i'd like to lay that margaret llewellyn across my knee for her capers and i didn't think she cared for dolls murmured nan but it was young bob who betrayed the mysterious reason for his sister's act huh he said with a boy's disgust for such things mag's crazy about pretty faces if they're smooth and pink she peeked into that Sherwood gal's room and seed her playin' doll. Then she had her have it for herself, cause it was so pretty and had a smooth face, not like the kids' dolls that Aunt Matilde buyed. Poor little Margaret was greatly chiringed at the discovery of her secret. She ran away into the woods whenever she saw Nan coming, for a long time thereafter. It took weeks for the girl from Tilbury to regain half-wild girl's confidence again. Nan was just as busy and happy as she could be, considering the uncertain news from Scotland and Uncle Henry's unfortunate affair with Gedney Raffer. She helped Aunt Kate with the housework early every morning so that they might both hurry into the woods to pick berries. Pine Camp was in the midst of a vast huckleberry country, and at the forks a cannery had been established. Beside the forks 
was a big shipping center for the fresh berries. Uncle Henry brought crates and berry cups, and sometimes the whole family picked all day long in the berry pasture, taking with them a cold luncheon and eating it picnic fashion. It was great fun, Nan thought, despite the fact that she often came home so wearied that her only desire was to drop into bed. But the best part of it, the saving grace of all this toil, was the fact that she was earning money for herself. Account was faithfully kept of every cup of berries she picked, and when Uncle Henry received his check from the produce merchant to whom he shipped the berries, Nan was paid her share. These welcome earnings she saved for a particular purpose, and for no selfish one, you may be sure. Little Margaret Llewellyn still ran from her, and Nan wished to win the child back, so she schemed to do this. After all, there was something rather pitiful in the nature of the child who so disliked any face that was wizzled, but loved those faces that were fair and smooth. Margaret only possessed a feeling that is quite common to humanity. She being such a little savage, she openly expressed an emotion that many of us have, but try to hide. The Llewellyn children picked berries, of course, and did most of the other neighbors. Pine Camp was almost a deserted village during the season, when the sweet, blue fruit hung heavy on the bushes. Sometimes the Sherwood party and the Llewellyns would cross each other's paths in the woods or pastures, but little Margaret always shrank into the background. If Nan tried to surprise her, the half-wild little thing would slip away into the deeper woods like one of its own denizens. Near the river one day, Margaret had an experience that should have taught her a lesson. However, regarding wandering alone in the forest, and the adventure should, too, have taught the child not to shrink so from an ugly face. Nan had something very important to tell Margaret. Her savings had amounted to quite a goodly sum, and in the catalogue of a mail-order house she had found something of which she wished to secure Margaret's opinion. The child, as usual, ran away when they met, and even Bob could not bring her back. She's an obstinate, as Dad's old mule, grunted the disgusted boy. Can't do a thing with her, Nan Sherwood. I'll just get her myself, declared Nan, laughing, and she started into the thicker woods to circumvent Margaret. She did not follow the river as a smaller girl had, but struck into the bush, intending to circle around and head Margaret off. She had not pushed her way through the clinging vines and brush for ten minutes before she heard somebody else in the jungle. She thought it was the little girl at first. Then she caught sight of a man's hat and knew that Margaret did not wear a hat at all. Goodness, who can that be? thought Nan. She was a little nervous about approaching strange people in the wood. Although... At this season there was nothing to apprehend from stragglers. There were so many berry-pickers within call. Nan did not seek to overtake the man, however, and would have kept on in her original direction. Had she not heard a cry and a splitting crash toward the river-bank, some accident had happened, and when Nan heard the scream repeated, she was sure that the voice was that of Margaret. So she set off directly, on a run, tearing her dress and scratching her hands and face, but paying no attention to either misfortune. 
She only wanted to get to the scene of the accident and lend her aid, if it was needed. And it would have been needed if it had not been for the man whose hat she had seen a few moments before. He made his passage through the bush much quicker than could Nan, and when the latter reached an opening where she could see the river, the stranger was just leaping into the deep pool under the high bank. It was plain to be seen what had happened. A sycamore overhung the river, and somebody had climbed out upon a small branch to reach a few half-ripened grapes, growing on a vine that ran up the tree. The branch had split, drooping downward, and the adventurous grape-gatherer had been cast into the water. "'Oh, Margaret!' screamed Nan, confident that it was the reckless child that was in peril. She hurried to the brink of the low bluff, from which the rescuer had plunged. He had already seized the child. There was an eddy here under the bank, and was striking out for the shore. Nan saw his wet face, with the bed-raggled hair clinging about it. It was the awfully scared face of Injun Pete. But to the excited Nan, at the moment, it seemed one of the most beautiful faces she had ever seen. The Indian reached the bank, clung to a tough root, and lifted up the gasping Margaret for Nan to reach. The girl took the child and scrambled up the bank again. By the time she was at the top, Injun Pete was beside her. She not hurt, little missy, said the man, in his soft voice, and turning his face so that Nan should not see it. She just scared. Margaret would not even cry. She was too plucky for that. When she got her breath, she croaked. Put me down, Nan Sherwood. I ain't no baby. But you're a very wet child, said Nan, laughing, yet on the verge of tears herself. You might have been drowned. You would have been had it not been for Mr. Indian Pete. Ugh, whispered Margaret. I seen him when I come up out of that nasty water. I wanted to go down again. Hush, Margaret, cried Nan, sternly. You must thank him. The man was just then moving away. He took herself like a dog coming out of the stream, and paid no further attention to his own wet condition. Wait, please, Nan called after him. She all right now, said the Indian. But Margaret wants to thank you, don't you, Margaret? Much obliged, said the little girl, bashfully. You air all right, you air. That all right, that all right, said the man hurriedly. No need to thank me. Yes, there is, said Nan insistently. Come here, please. Margaret wants to kiss you for saving her life. Oh, the word came out of Margaret's lips like an explosion. Nan stared very sternly at her. If you don't, she said in a low tone, I'll tell your father all about how you came to fall into the river. Under this threat, Margaret became amenable. She puckered up her lips and stretched her arms out toward Indian Pete. The man stumbled back and fell on his knees beside the two girls. Nan heard the hoarse sob in his throat as he took little Margaret in his arms. "'Bless you, bless you,' he murmured, receiving the kiss right upon his scarred cheek. But Nan saw that Margaret's eyes were tightly closed as she delivered the caress, per order. The next moment the man with the scarred face had slipped away and disappeared in the forest. They saw him no more. However, just as soon as the catalog house could send it, Margaret received a beautiful, pink-cheeked, and flaxen-haired doll, not as fine as Balula, 
but beautiful enough to delight any reasonable child. Nan had won back Margaret's confidence and affection. Meanwhile, the hot summer was fast passing. Nan heard from her chum, Bess Harley, with commendable regularity, and no time did Bess write without many references to Lakeview Hall. Nan, advised by her former teacher in Tilbury, had brought her books to Pine Camp, and had studied faithfully along the lines of the high school work. She was sure she could pass quite as good an entrance examination for Lakeview Hall as Bess could. And at last good news came from Scotland. I am not quite ready to bring Momsey home, Papa Sherwood wrote, but the matter of her fortune is at least partially settled. The claims of the other relatives have been disallowed. Mr. Andrew Blake is prepared to turn over to your Momsey a part of her wonderful fortune. The rest will come later. She will tell you all about it herself. What I wish to say to you, particularly in this letter, pursued Mr. Sherwood, is that arrangements have been made for you to attend Lakeview Hall this coming semester. You will meet your friend, Elizabeth Harley, in Chicago, and will go with her to the school. I am writing by this mail to the principal of the hall. Mr. Harley has made all other necessary arrangements for you. Oh, cried Nan, clasping her hands. It's too good to be true. It can't be possible. I just know I'll wake up in a minute and find all this an exciting dream, and that's all. But Nan was wrong on that point. As the reader will see if her further adventures are followed in the next volume of the series, entitled Nan Sherwood at Lakeview Hall, or The Mystery of the Haunted Boathouse. While Nan was still intensely excited over this letter from Scotland, Toby Vanderwiller drove up to the Sherwood house behind his broken-kneed pony. This was the first time any of the Sherwoods had seen him since the day of the big storm and the fire and the sawdust. End of chapter 29